Welcome to the Grizzly Habits Podcast, episode number seven. Today's conversation is a little bit different. However, we're talking about a topic that a lot of our listeners appreciate, and that's off-roading in the great state of Utah, particularly riding UTVs or ATVs. The individuals joining us today are advocates for the off-road industry and have been fighting hard to protect our access to trails that exist in the great state of Utah. Brett Stewart with Utah OHV Advocates has been around for quite some time and helped pass the original street legal law several years ago and is now helping with the House Bill 180. Kevin Mortensen joins us from Ride Utah and Bruce Huntington from Utah Off-Road. And together, we're going to help educate exactly what House Bill 180 is and why it got brought about. So stay tuned for another great episode starting right now. Well, thank you guys for coming out to talk about House Bill 180 and off-road riding today. I think we're going to have a good conversation, but I think the ultimate purpose here is to educate all the groups around us about what's happening in the state of Utah right now with street legal, with uh, trail conservation, with protecting our access to trails, and what better group to talk with that about than the group here today. So thank you guys, and thank you, Bruce, for, for setting this up for us. Um, but the, the group we have around us, just for quick introductions, we have Bruce Huntington with Utah Off-Road. Kevin Mortensen is our TV host, and we have Brett Stewart, who is the off-road advocate here that has helped with street legal way back when, when ATVs were around, and now it's uh, kind of related to UTVs and other sorts of off-road vehicles. So um, definitely a good group of people to have on our side as we start talking about it. But Brett, maybe we'll open up to you as just give us a quick introduction as to what's going on uh, in the state of Utah right now um, and what we need to be aware of as off-roaders and what do we need to be trying to, I guess, fighting for? So I guess to get started, you know, we started with street legal and things have evolved from ATVs to UTVs. Um, It used to be a small amount of people that were out and riding ATVs and then in 2008, it evolved to where people wanted to drive on the highway to go from trailhead to trailhead or go from town to town and not be restricted just to dirt. So things have evolved quick. Um, the first original uh, street legal was in 2008. And then in, I don't know, 2017, um, I tried working not with the Salt Lake County Council and trying to get street legal in Salt Lake County because that was excluded um, in the beginning because they didn't want to take a county of the first class and try to incorporate it into this bill. So they ran it. It was for all 28 counties, and they left the county of the first class out, which is 750,000 folks or more. Um, So anyway, now that we got street legal in all 29 counties, it's a good thing, but the sport has grown, and we're up to roughly 220,000 licensed off-highway vehicles now. And there's a lot of problems that are starting to arise, like, for an example, in Moab, um, they basically hate off-highway vehicles, anything motorized. And so their goal is to eliminate us from riding anywhere, even on the dirt. Um, So when did this all start with the city of Moab? Because we've all heard about it and we've all seen uh, these so-called lists going around of those that do and don't support the off-road industry. I am personally a big fan of Moab. I love recreating down there, whether it's in an off-road vehicle, whether it's on a mountain bike or whether it's on my feet. Moab has just so many great things to Mm -hmm. offer. 
But when did this all start and what exactly is going on in the city of Moab? Is there truly a divide between the off-roaders versus the non-off-roaders? There is. And I think Bruce might be better on this one because he spends a lot of time. He's, you know, in charge of all the guides down there on a lot of these events. I mean, what do you see, Bruce? Yeah, so I, I know that um, Moab in general, and not all the citizens, we have a lot of citizens that live in Midville, or sorry, Moab. And a lot of them are my friends, right? And they're very supportive of the OGB program. They all recreate on, you know, the trails in Moab. But some of the citizens, they've been, they've been trying to get OHVs off of the trails for a very long time. Even before side-by-sides have been around, it was the Jeeps, right? The Jeeps were the problem. They were the ones causing a lot of the destruction and, you know, whatnot, according to them, of course, on the trails and in the city by themselves driving around. Um, Sue has been heavily involved with the fight against OHVs in the Moab area. I won't tell you who made this quote, but, you know, the side-by-side since... Uh, they've been very popular and gaining in popularity in Moab. They've now been dubbed the worst of the worst. So mm. we're the worst of the worst. Who is the worst, right? It's the Jeepers. And that's, I'm both. Yeah. I have a Jeep and a side-by-side, and I love both of them. But that's where it initially started was with the Jeepers. Well, we, we even went down, sorry to interrupt, but this is just a good point, too, is we have e-bikes, Right. Um, we went down to Moab with a couple of e-bikes and we were told there were certain trails that we weren't allowed to do on an e-bike. And you got to really you know, put your yeah. brain down there to think about what an e-bike is going to do differently than a pedal bike at the end of the day. So, um, you know, there there is a little bit of an access issue happening and um, I don't know why. So <laughs> a lot of that's just narrative, right? It's it's people don't understand what the rules are, what the rules for specific types of or class of machines are and where they can go. The e-bike thing is brand new, and we're seeing some of those rules being defined and refined. Literally, as we speak and as we're talking, DNR is putting together some final rules for for e-bikes and in wetland areas and some other access points. So with Moab, Bruce, you, you, you hit it on when you said SUA. We've learned that SUA is a big player and that that a lot of times we're starting to learn that the policies that are being implemented from local governments in Southern Utah aren't necessarily representative of the citizens who elected those governments. We're finding out right now that there is some outside influences there. And our state legislature is looking into that right now. They're, they're getting ready to audit those counties. And, and so off-roaders can look to that effort and, and maybe feel a little bit good about it that the state of Utah is going down there and saying, Hey, we're going to try and, and, and clear all this up. Uh, so we don't have to worry about, it. are we going to have a place to go right or not? And then to go back a little bit, um, talking about SUA, it's, uh, and correct me here, but Southern Utah Wilderness, Wilderness Alliance. Alliance. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the ultimate goal is to, of course, protect and preserve and make sure that the beautiful land stays the way that it is. But we have national parks and there's a lot of areas that are already designated for that. And these Jeep trails, and I'm going to call them Jeep trails or maybe mining trails, yeah. have been around for decades, mm-hmm. uh, if not longer. And all we're doing is recreating on those same trails that have been in existence. There's not a lot of new trails being built and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think there really are any new trails being built. We're kind of staying in the same place, aren't we? And yeah. we're not asking for more trails. I mean, we're saying let's protect, let's keep what we have. Um, 
and a lot of them are RS2477 roads. A lot of them are County B roads, D roads. So we've got the environment, the extreme environmentalists like SUA um, coming in and trying to turn everything into wilderness. So no motorized is allowed. So the only way you're going to be able to see that, you know, is if you're very healthy and got the strength to do it and old guys like me won't be able to ever see it again. So that's why this is one of the reasons why um, we ran some legislation with HB 180. Um, we want to show that the users do care. We are the true environmentalists. We are concerned. We don't want people going off road. And since they start designating routes, um, we need to protect them routes and we can't lose anymore. So that was one of the reasons why the user groups got together and, and created HB 180 and ran it through legislation. That's a really good point there because we're hearing a lot of people come out and saying the state of Utah is forcing more rules down OHVers, mm -hmm. and we want the this crowd. We want the user group, the OHV user group, this segment to know that this was OHV generated, right? Yeah. So this was the OHV um, community saying we're going to do our part. We're going to show that we're responsible. We're going to leave a trail that is actually legislation that proves that we have the best interests of our public lands in mind. And, and we're not suing anybody. We're not creating disruptions in land management agencies. We're actually coming to the aid of them. I mean, this guy right here has passed some legislation in the past five years that has made the BLM and Forest Service jobs a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so when we ran this legislation, this has been talked about even probably back when you was active riding yours and, you know, it's like, what are we going to do? We got, you know, probably 5% of the riders that are just have no idea that they're doing wrong. I came from the days of no designated routes and it, it was really hard for me to make the transaction over. It's like, I can go wherever I want to go. You know, yeah, don't I, tell me I can't go over there. And I think that's something that we all do, right? And and it's in, yeah. I mean, you, you go your whole life by by being enforced, right? Mm -hmm, You're, you yeah. have a speed limit, you have designated routes, and then you get a UTV and you mm -hmm. go out in the middle of the desert where yeah. maybe it's wide open riding. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're going to go as fast as you can, have some fun. Yeah. But then you you got to realize that, okay, there's a time and a place for that. Yeah. And I think where I've learned more than anything as part of all these different riding groups where I've been out on trails and I've made mistakes myself. I'll be, mm -hmm. I'll be honest here. I have, you know, taken the wide turn and gone oh, off trail, but it's, has. it's been the UTV crowd that has informed me. In fact, I've been pulled aside uh, and told by other UTV riders mm -hmm. like, Hey, just so you know, this is what you did. You kind of took yeah. a wide turn there and you destroyed that bush. Don't do it again. I didn't even think twice until I was told and said, wow, thank you. And now yeah. I'm the one educating people. Right. So this House Bill 180 is that next step for everyone just to be aware because, yeah, we're, our adrenaline yeah. gets the best of us sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's the reason, you know, this is this test that is going to be required. It goes in effect on January 1st. Um, it's going to be a very simple test. It's once in a lifetime. Um, it can be done online. And this will be for in-state and out-of-staters, 18 and over. So... This is something that we're trying to educate. For an example, the five percenters that don't know, you got people coming from all over the country or, or even, you know, United States or even out of country that are coming here and renting machines and they have no clue that it's just a free for all. And then you get the environmentalist or whoever, I don't even like to see it anymore, <laughs> where they're getting taking pictures of it and saying, look what these things yeah. are doing. They're destroying the, you know, our, our environment. So Let, let's talk about that for a second, because if you are a a land manager and you are employed by the federal government and given the, the responsibility of taking care of this tract of land, right? 
This is your job. You, for instance, the West Desert in Utah, or or even the San Rafael Swell. That is a huge swath of land that is managed by maybe 20, 30 people. So if you're, that. Oh, wow. if that, right? So yeah. you're 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 put in charge of managing this big swath of land, and so you have zero control really of who goes over on that land, but. If somebody goes out onto your land that you're responsible for and they destroy it, you may never know. You're the manager of this land. You may never know it. But the environmentalists are out there crawling around and they're looking for that damage. And so what they're doing is they're taking pictures of that damage and they're sending it to your boss. And they're saying so-and-so is letting this land go. Now, you look, you go look at your the, the structure of federal government and what it takes to fix something. You have to put in for money. And that can take years. So you got to get budgeted and then you got all the studies. Mm-hmm. I mean, NEPA right now is, is, is in the news and it's a complete joke, but you get all these studies. And so if you're a manager, what are you going to do? You're just going to shut it down. And that's the problem. And they'll shut it down. So if you're a user and you see one, you're going out to ride one day and you, you, you're getting ready to turn onto your favorite trail and there's a marker that says this trail shut down. Well, that creates some tension because obviously the federal government shut it down. The user group needs to understand what it means when, or what it takes to fix damage and why land managers shut this stuff down. And like Brett said, it's that 5% that doesn't know. I, I think we, we've called one, House Bill 180 many times. We've called it the, the excuse remover, right? So <laughs> it, yeah. you can't say, yeah. I didn't know now, because everybody's going to know. And so land managing agencies, they, they have come out in favor of this. The OHV user groups have come out in favor of this because, frankly, if, if um, uh, you know, a little bit of damage happens, yeah. it, it just shut it down. And, and it's so hard to prevent that, right? Um, about a year ago, maybe two years ago, um, the real damage is up in the Forest Service, you know, up on their yeah. lands and our lands. I shouldn't say theirs. And there was a group of ATVs up there that were having a blast. Um, doing donuts out in this beautiful meadow up by Mirror Lake, and they were having mud drags and everything else. It completely destroyed this meadow. Well, if you're from back east, that's what they do. You know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's normal. Just, that's normal. Yeah, for they riding parks, right? Yeah, that's normal. So they have no clue when they come over here. They trailer here, get their sticker, and they just go out and about. So these are the five percenters that I'm talking about. They don't know they're doing wrong. There's a lot of them that are being stubborn. And I was at one time when I went from you know. Hey, don't tell me where I can go, which I've changed. Um, but there's a lot of them just have no clue what they're doing. And so that's the other reason for HB 180 is so everybody will, will be required in state and out of state to take this half hour once in a lifetime. And if they don't take it, then if they if the law enforcement enforces it, it's a $150 fine. So it's free. It's online once in a lifetime. And, and even the old guys like me might even learn something out of it. It's, yeah, it's like, going to be fun and educational, right? Yeah. I mean, most people are going to look at it and go, that's the dumbest test I've ever seen. I already knew all the answers. But what, what about the ones that didn't know? You know, picking up garbage on a trail. Don't go off trail. Don't high bank. You know, there's a lot of stuff. So in this test, there'll be like four little mini videos um, as you go through. They're like two minutes long. Um, there'll be 25 questions. And I've been working with the state on putting this class together um it's ready to launch you know january 1st there'll be a few hiccups in it i'm sure so we're not gonna really push law enforcement for at least 30 days after that 
or they're not going to push law enforcement. I'm not law enforcement. So anyway, we're, we're trying to just ease into it, try to educate. And then if, um, that's the reason this. So part of the bill is we put a plate on non-street legal. So non-street legal plates will remain the same. These are for non-street legal. Um, the ones that are um, exempt from that are motorcycles, snowmobiles, husbandry, which are farmers, ranchers. They, got, they need to go off trail. Um, they'll be excluded. But that's one of the reasons is like that group up in Mirror Lake. Nobody could identify them. And so we're going with the plates on here so, so that we can identify them. Um, a lot of it will be self-policing, you know, to identify it because we're the ones that are suffering when somebody goes off-road. The other thing that's in uh, HB 180 is if you caught, uh, get caught ripping down a pinch point, which is maybe a 50-inch trail, and you take your 80-inch side-by-side down through there and you go out around the gate, um, that's not only will it be cited, but their first violet, the first penalty from the judge will be you have to go fix what you damaged. Wow. So they may be out there Which with rakes. Which could be rakes. a lot of work. <laughs> they may be out there with rakes, um, but that's just the first penalty. The judge can um, add additional penalties to that. So if they rip a gate down or a fence that down, you're not going to be able to go out and repair it. They're going to basically have to pay for it. Well, and, and one of the reasons for that was because land managers and local law enforcement was saying, hey, these guys are just paying the fine, and then they're going back mm -hmm. out and destroying stuff. Yeah. And so it, the fine's not stopping them because they started seeing these repeat offenders. Yeah, it's like 100 bucks, so what? I'll go do it again. It's like the window tent law. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You pay the fine, and you just keep. <laughs> so that's why they finally they, get they moved that up. Cop to sign off on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's fixed. They ran some. They ran, it looks good to me. Yeah, they ran We've some legislation last year that made it so you could tint them a little bit. Yeah, I think darker. it's darker now. I think it is. Yeah, it, it is. They allowed it to go a little bit darker. It was yeah. like sixty-five, and I think they gave you an extra fifteen percent, so yeah. you can still. It's still a fishbowl. I way. still don't know if I'm legal or not, but it's yeah. minor timid. Of course you are. So, I'm no yeah, angel. Yeah, but. you're perfectly legal. <laughs> to you know, Brett, you talked about the five percent. And I think it's going to grow if we don't get on top of it. Yeah, it's probably goes, really pushing 10. Yeah, yeah, I mean, really, with the growing popularity of side-by-sides, and we all know no one in this room has ever wanted to just go out and just wreck, the wreck, wreck up, you know, those trails or anything else, mm -hmm. right? Well. We're all responsible. But the people that are buying the side-by-sides now, they've never owned an ATV, they've never owned a side-by-side -side before, and they think it's fun, they see the commercials, they see all of us, you know, on the Facebook pages and whatnot, and they go and buy these, and it's a free-for-all. Yeah. So your 5% is gonna grow well, if we don't start educating them ASAP. Yeah, you know, look at the commercials that the manufacturers are putting out. Yeah. Guys, just ripping up a trail. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so that looks cool, so I'm gonna go buy that machine, but how often do we go ride, this, this room right here, how often do you go ride now and see somebody breaking rules and damaging trail compared to 10 years ago? It, I, I think we're, for me, it's no, probably we're every all, time, right? Yeah, it's getting better today. And you look at the garbage on trails. I mean, I think our trails are probably cleaner today than they were 20 years ago. Yeah, I think that's what I see. I see I kind of an equal effort. It's almost like there's one person cleaning up for the other's messes. There's this that balance, too. but yeah. we need more people cleaning up than making the mess. And right. the way we do that is education yeah. and community. So we need all of our groups to come together and we all need to have the same understanding that mm -hmm. we're in this together and we have to make sure that we're conserving and educating one another appropriately. And um, that's one reason I actually went to the sand dunes for the first time um, just a couple weeks ago in over 12 years, I think it was, 
because of the disrespect in the campground. You you can't sleep, A, number mm-hmm. one. But uh, number two is I took a brand new truck down there and I got peppered with rocks in the campground. Mm-hmm. Right. Where I wish there were groups around back then that were starting to form today to go out and say, whoa, stop the party. That's not OK. We, we don't yeah. do this. You go 100 feet that way and you're OK. Why are you doing it in the campgrounds? Yeah. So there's those people out there that we need to educate. But it's getting better. It definitely is. I think there's a lot of groups, a lot of people that are coming together that are uh, helping take care of that 5%. You can, you can start a, oh, sorry. You can start a conversation about the OHV grant right now because the way that Brett with the uh, way he took the the OHV the registration money for OHVs and created a restricted fund that now sets aside millions of dollars a year for for nonprofit and government agencies to go and access this money f- to use for maintaining OHV education. infrastructure education yeah. and all and you know, yeah. this this guy's right here. He, he's a brilliant in, in terms of his foresight and some of that. And so I think the OHV grant program that, the, that is administered by the Utah State Parks OHV program does play right into House Bill 180 mm-hmm. because they, they work together because now we can go to land managers and we can go to counties and we can even go to, you know, in some cases, even ranchers that have you know, a good relationship with their counties and say, you know what? Yeah, we understand there's some damage that's occurred. Instead of you having to go get federal funds to fix it, we can provide state funds and we can even provide the manpower and speed the whole process up. Yeah. And instead of closing down a trail, we'll just go fix it. Right. So at this point, you've, you know, going up, that was HB 143 and that was years ago. And, and going to that, <laughs> we could never hear, or there's no reason for BLM or the forest service or anybody to say, we don't have the funding to do that. Now we do. So what percentage of registration fees then versus now? So before, all of the registration fees went to on-road use, right? Um, so when you license a street legal, you're paying for off-highway vehicle and street legal. And when we ran this legislation for this, we actually took the property tax and put it into a restricted fund because Salt Lake County has a majority of the users, but there's no trails in Salt Lake County. So that was part of the push through the legislation is like, why are we leaving all the money here in Salt Lake County? They have no trails. So that was part of how we push that through legislation. Now, if a city, county, uh, federal agency, nonprofit wants to apply for money to expand their trails or, you know, just make them better or whatever, now they can apply for a grant and get the money. So Salt Lake County, if they want to build a trail, we can get them some money. But if they don't, they don't get our money no more. So that, and that's a big deal too, because that, that goes huge. towards things like House Bill It goes right, right to the ground, yep. Perfect. So, there's yeah. no- so if you're a small county like Paiute County, yeah. Where you've yeah. got the, I mean, you're ground zero, right, for OHV access and OHV trails and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got to maintain this, but it's all Salt Lake guys that are coming down and taking mm-hmm. Or out-of-staters, a lot out-of-staters. So the out-of-state yeah. permit also goes into this fund. Those, uh, Paiute County takes advantage of this in Sevier County and all, Kane yeah. County, all these guys in South Garfield is a big uh, beneficiary. Yeah. And then they can put that money right back into maintaining that infrastructure so that when you do come from Salt Lake, to recreate in Southern Utah, you've got a nice trail. And you're investing in it through your registration. Right. So your money is going to the ground. For an example, uh, Garfield County, they've received like a half a million dollars. They bought a trail cat, a bobcat, a mini X, signage, anything they want or what they need to build our trails. And it's all invested into the off-highway vehicles. So that's incredible. The way I treat it or the way I want to see it treated is like UDOT. You know, we've got a lot of groups that don't engage in doing a lot of 
uh, volunteer projects. So, because they're busy out having fun or raising families or whatever, I guess there's lots of excuses for that. But um, I would like to see the OHV program be treated like UDOT. Let's get some crews out on the ground. Our registration fees are paying for it, and let's expand. I mean, Right now, we got 220,000. I predict in five or 10 years, we're going to have a half a million folks out there, right? Oh, yeah. So Very we, nice. we need yeah. to prepare for it. And, and remember so. what I said earlier about that land manager, right? That manager of that BLM mm -hmm. office, all of a sudden, instead of your budget going to maintaining those trails, now you've got the state stepping in mm -hmm. and you've got the users of those trails putting some skin in the game. Yep. In the last five years, probably the relationship between the state, the users, and the federal land managers has gotten so much better because we're making their life. You know, this guy right here, no. he's brilliant, making <laughs> no. their lives easier. And you know, I hear it; they tell me that. Yeah. Well, they yeah. say they say this is huge because mm -hmm. now it's it's taking that extra burden off our plate. We can actually go manage the land, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's creating better access for everybody. Sure. Even oh, yeah. even those even that are them. fighting us, right? Yeah, yeah, it's creating that fair access where you can go deeper into mm -hmm. the wilderness. You can be more off grid. So. Yeah. It's opening up those areas where you can truly get away if you want. Let's face it, it's there's a lot of people on this earth. We all have to get along. Yeah. <laughs> and the more money you can throw at it, the smaller your footprint's gonna be, right? Exactly. Yeah. We've got so. a lot of a lot of money in that restricted account. We had to make sure that it stayed in that and not the general fund too. So it's restricted for off-highway vehicle use only. So a lot of folks don't know that that's where your registration money goes to. Well, so. Brad, it's amazing what you've done over the course of the years, because, I mean, I remember, you know, back John Deere days and then yeah. it converted into the Polaris <laughs> Ranger, just the side by side. And now we have yeah. these really cool machines. <laughs> we didn't have an infrastructure set up for that. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing and what everyone around you is doing is we're setting up that at accessible platform we continue to grow from. And as machines continue to get maybe bigger, maybe faster and more people come to the sport, we can narrow down and control things a little bit so mm -hmm. it's um, and, a little bit more control and the surrounding states are noticing it yeah they're following you suit. know they're saying well we this is utah's leading the way they're saying mm -hmm. wow we got to do what they're doing and we, it's it, working it's working and so it this is growing throughout the, the 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 united states right especially in the west where public lands dominate the percentage of mm -hmm. of your user area right so uh, the foresight was amazing I'd like to, do you mind if we hit on one other topic? You know, a lot of folks don't understand what um, designated restricted um, widths are. Um, there's a lot of like on forest land, there's a lot of 50 inch trails, for an example. The Forest Service started out as like 46 inches. It used to be tote goats and then it was 48 inches. Then they went to 50 down. A lot of them are going to 60 inches. But I, ride, I have an X3, and it's 70 yeah. inches. I can't even go on them trails. So we've got a lot of folks that don't understand. You know, there's a reason for that width restriction. And what happened back in the 80s with the Clinton administration, he designated all this Forest Service as roadless area. You can't build a road. You can't use it as a road, but we can build trails. I've worked on a trail system, and we just cut some new trails that are 60 inches. We can build trails on the sixth, you know, in the roadless area, but we can't do roads. But a lot of these folks with these big machines, they, they pay taxes. They should be able to go on it. Well, it's not the land managers that created that rule. It was the Clinton administration. So we have to follow them because then if a land manager sees it, we ripped a, you know, a gate or a pinch point down. So the side by side could go through. 
they can't stay up with it and they can't keep fixing it. And so that's the purpose for things like this. But folks need to understand it's in the roadless. We can't adopt a 80 inch trail. Right. So, and our our lands are so beautiful. We have some of the most prettiest forests, right, mm-hmm. in the nation. Yeah. And as as you mentioned, the trails are only getting wider and wider. Well, we don't want an eighty inch trail, realistically, because then that trail after high banking is going to turn into a full width road. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what happens then, right? There goes a lot of the scenery. Becomes higher, a road. Yeah. When it's supposed to be a trail. Yeah, with the higher performance machines that are coming out. Yearly, yeah. The faster they're going to go through those trails, and those trails are only going to get wider. Quite, so, quite frankly, they do more damage. And if you want to go see oh, yeah, a fifty-inch trail, buy a fifty-inch machine. Yeah. yeah, that's why a lot of people love Marysville because it's so pretty and there is restrictions. Um, like on the Paiute, yeah, there's a lot of fifty-inch trails, but that's what it evolved from. It was roadless area, so you know that it's there's room for everybody nobody's being selfish but for an example motorcycles you know they like a single track they don't like to ride on roads with us you know there's a lot of maybe out of control side by sides or atvs or whatever maybe the bicycles are a nuisance to them so they like the single track motorcycle and they all butt and have a blast and no damage is done and they're staying on the trail so when there's restrictions just you know, reach out to your land managers, uh, get maps. You know, it's all documented if it's 50 inch or not. Just it's not a free for all anymore like it used to be. I came from the days, like I say, it was a free for all. <laughs> Which not is today. the point of the House Bill 180. 180 it's is education. Yeah. And once you take that, it's a yes. lifetime, right? Yeah. And if you once get. Once you learn that, mm-hmm. then hopefully the goal is that if somebody's going to go off road, they're going to think twice before they yeah. hammer down. Or they're doing a donut. Yeah. Brett, this is a good time. Why don't you talk about the youth rider, the um, 16-year-old, the, the 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 younger riders? Because there's going to be a lot of questions about, yeah, you're 18. We've got our machine. We're gonna we're gonna mm-hmm. go, we're gonna register it. We're gonna ride it. And what if you don't own a machine and you're just gonna go ride somebody else's? Okay. I'll so some of that. There was a there was some. Like say a ranger went down to Grand County and presented HB 180 was a little bit misinformed. Um, so the way it's going to work and it's not changing. If anybody caught wind of that, um, it was all over Facebook. <laughs> so if you're a guide with a guide on a guided tour, and you're from out of state or just a local, um, you don't need to take this test. Okay. If you're with a guide. The guy does have to do it, and hopefully he'll share his information with, with his guest. Will that include rallies? Rallies, too. So, yeah, rallies. so if the Rally on the Rocks came back to Moab? Or anywhere. Any rallies that is a sanctioned Utah state rally, um, their participants and guests don't need to take the test. But if they come a day before or a day after, they will have to take that Anything test. outside of the rally, then. And if exactly. everybody rode with a guide, we wouldn't yeah. need House Bill 180. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's we had to clear that up. Um, as far as youth, um, so if you're so it used to be eight years old or older that you could take a, a youth class. I call it a youth driver's license. Um, two years ago, they ran some legislation that changed that. If a kid can pass the test, the youth test, then they can legally operate a motorized, you know, ATV or UTV or motorcycle. Um, 
So and that, that test before Hospital 180 was really the only test. So sometimes our youth knew more than us. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless yeah. their dad took it for them. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, right? I took my grandson to it and he's like, Grandpa, quit doing that. And the ones that I helped. Oh, you got busted, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anyway, so the way it is now, um, 18 and over will be required to take HB 180. Um, 17 and under will be required to take the online or in-person, hands-on, and the course. And we're going to rewrite the course and make it so that it incorporates 180 into it um, so that they're getting the same information as their parents and everyone else. And then they'll also have um, uh, hands-on. And if they could do it in-state at location, that's great. But if they're from out of state, they can do kind of an online course. So that's part of the changes that, that we made on HB 180. Well, good. I'm, so, I'm excited for House Bill 180. I think it's long overdue, and mm -hmm. I appreciate the effort that's gone into it. There is one question I want to address. I don't know if this is on House Bill 180, but talking about the noise ordinance. Um, you know, City of Moab is the great example where they tried to limit or restrict access via yeah. noise or decibel levels, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, noise is an issue. If you're trying to enjoy the great outdoors, sometimes there are people that, you know, might rev in a parking lot or they might, yeah. you know, peel out of a parking lot or whatever. So are there things in House Bill 180 to educate? on noise there is so that's one of the sections this is all in sections uh, you know for the 25 questions there might be five per section or whatever and it's focused just on moab you know the problem is happening in paiute you know several other counties now it's starting to be a bit of a problem in hurricane um, but moab is an issue and so that's part of the deal it's like you know some of them are false and true questions and it's like is it true to drive you know is it good to drive down the road with your stereo blast and your whips lit up and <laughs> anyway so yeah we hit we hit on that heavy of showing respect you know show a little bit of respect for neighborhoods you know pick a route that isn't interfering with neighborhoods and their families um so yeah we hit on that really hard here's the problem so i've been involved with the decimal reading um the lowest or the decimal reading for a stock machine is like 92 decimal or 93 decimal. So they lined up, you know, Can-Am, Polaris, Kawasaki lined them up. And to, in order for them to pass, it was like 93 decimal. Moab adopted some ordinance that was like 92. And 93 is what it takes for them to pass. So that doesn't go in well. So there was some legislation that Senator Bramble ran that kind of put them in their place. It's like, no, no, no. Don't you be citing anybody because it'll never hold up in court. So what's the average of like a Harley? So here's the deal. So when <laughs> I, more than that. when yeah. we ran the street legal, so we follow the same rules and laws as a motorcycle. That's how the street legal works. We follow the same as a motorcycle. Well, I've got a Harley and it's about 110. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're just singling us out. So I told the commissioners in Moab, I says, look, if you really want us to adopt an ordinance, we have to go find the loudest stock Harley, and which will be about 110, and that's what we're going to put it at. And I says, you guys won't, you have nothing here. Take all your equipment and throw it in the garbage because they're down there harassing people all the time. Well, so if, if they wanted to adopt a decimal reading, it'd be about 110. So let's just leave it alone. But you know what? Just the we need, as users, need to show a little respect. It's the respect. In tw I own a business in southern Utah. And I'm in Moab quite often. And in the summer of 2020, I, I spent a lot of time in, in Moab. And there were a lot, there were a lot, that summer, for some reason, 
Moab was off the chains, right? With I've never seen that many OHV UTVs in Moab. Every time I went, there were hundreds of them. You know what they were doing? They were driving up around in the neighborhoods. They had their radios blaring. They had their flags going and their whips and and they were driving up past people's houses. And I had the specific thought: this is going to come back to haunt us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, this, this is gonna this is gonna hurt. And, and so when all of this hap started happening and, and we started hearing the complaints, it didn't surprise me because I'm a local, right? I I, I witnessed it. Yep. And what you know what I witnessed? I didn't witness loud machines. I witnessed irresponsible, maybe uh, discourteous behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we're, that's not us as a user group. These guys they were on vacation. I understand that they they're going down there on vacation. They want to have a good time, but this is people's home. Yeah, that's, have vacate your vacation outside city limits. Yeah, and that that's the same thing happened with all the Airbnbs and and um, uh, what is it? Hurricane? What's the county hurricanes in Washington, Washington? Washington County. So they just came out and restricted Airbnbs for nightly rentals unless there's a host, which pretty much gives you a sand hollow resort because too many people are coming from vacation and partying, mm-hmm. being too loud and disrespectful for the neighborhood. Well, what do you expect? People come on vacation. They're going to have a pool party. They're going to be up late. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with any anything, whether it's a UTV or whether it's going to Hawaii. People go to have a good time, and they forget about that R word, respect. And that's what we need everyone to do is just be respectful, be a good person. Yeah, you know, we need to police our own. And that's kind of why this is yeah. – that's kind of the purpose of this. You know? Well, you know what? It was either we did it to ourselves mm-hmm. or the government put something that was way more restrictive on us because the, some of the plans that was ha- – some of the ideas that were floating around through the legislature and through the, the, some of the, the, the environmental lobbyists were proposing to the state were extremely restrictive. And so that's when probably in 2018, 2019, when this was floating around in my head, and I mentioned it to Brett. And you know what? It would it had been floating around in his head, and so we both had different ideas yeah. about what it was supposed to look like. But we kind of joined forces, and I don't know how many different versions. There's 50, 60 different versions of this. But as we started getting input from different people, it started to really grow, and 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 now we were able to go to the state and kind of preemptively um, address what could have been a very bad situation mm-hmm. for off road. Because the laws, if the government was going to come do it, they were just going to flat out shut it down. We had so much support in the legislation. There was one person that opposed it, and she that was just a personal reason. I think she didn't. Yeah, we, won't, we won't go there. It just comes but, back to the original, right? Yeah. We, we're the worst of the worst, but there's yeah. always been the worst. And, the Jeepers, they've been the worst, right? Since the advent of the sports side-by-side, side-by-side we've created our own issues mm-hmm. by putting on the aftermarket exhausts by going around a corner too fast, by having our RPMs reach a certain, you know, decibel before, you know, we start yeah. laying off the, the gas and start breaking down. Yeah. So yeah, we've created our own mess. That is for sure. And there's no one that doubts that no one disbelieves mm-hmm. that. I mean, we just need to make sure that we're constantly respecting people and that we're educating people and that, you know, just we we got to do what's right yeah. for the people that live in those small communities. Um, when we start working on this legislation, I just didn't do it my way because I know how to work on bills or whatever. And I don't like to say I, but there was a group of people. It was him. I reached out. <laughs> I reached out to 
the lobbyists that represent dealers. I reached out to the dealers. I sat on Zoom calls with them. I reached out to clubs and groups in the state of Utah, and I got everybody's ideas. And this bill changed like five times through legislation because somebody would find a problem, and it's like, all right, let's fix it. I there, like that. There were times when it would change five yeah. times in ten minutes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'd get a phone call, hey, someone just called. We need to do this. Yeah. I mean, I'll just wait till it's released. Representative, <laughs> yeah. Representative Albrecht, he's like, well, Brett, give Brett a call. You know, you got, you know, I'd have these dealers and stuff that were just furious and they just didn't quite understand. I've even got uh, law enforcement, I won't say the city or town, but they're saying, we're not going to enforce it. And I go, you know what? I'm not law enforcement. We're just trying to help out a problem that is statewide. The beautiful thing so, about House Bill 180 is if, they, if that local sheriff doesn't want to enforce it, he doesn't have to. That's fine. You know, I'm not law enforcement, but I just hope that they, you know, once they realize what it's all about, we're not being mean. We're not jamming it down their throat. We're trying to protect this for future generations. If we don't do something like this and protect it, then, you know, our kids and grandkids and their kids, pretty soon our public lands will all be shut down and the environmentalists will win. It'll all be wilderness. There will be no motorized. Yeah, that's so, what we we don't want that, right? Exactly. So. Yeah, and we talked about it. It's really the environmentalists know that if they find damage, that, that mm-hmm. the process for the land manager to fix the damage is so difficult that they'll just shut it down because it's easier. They don't have the manpower, which is why this guy and all his ideas have, have really uh, have really come in and, and, and allowed Utah to lead the way in how we take care of our lands. Eventually, every single square foot of that land needs to be owned by the state of Utah. Yeah. That's that'd our be goal. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. You know, you uh, hitting on that a little bit. There's been a lot of talk of wanting, you know, because what's Utah, something like 80% federal land or something like that. Well, I saw some is up there, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard of them wanting, you know, there's been a certain groups out there that want to sell off some of that land. I go, no, uh-uh. these lands are not for sale. You sell it to the private sector and they're going to be immediately put up a fence and say no trespassing. We don't want that. We want to protect our private or our public lands for everybody, all types of users, whether you're hikers, bikers, wilderness, UTVs, whatever. These are our public lands, and it's important that we protect them. So, that, again, that's that's why we're taking a lead on trying to protect them. We that really is. do care. So change correct change me if management, wrong, but, not ownership. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but can't the state acquire X amount of acreage per year from the BLM? There's, there's a bill that was ran, and it's actually a federal law that we can acquire 26,500 acres per year. Um, but it's really complicated to do, but I'm actually working with some people on trying to acquire that and take an advantage of that. But it has to be recreation-related, which is good. So they just can't, you know, go privatize it and sell it to, you know, homeless area or whatever, yeah. apartments. They will always remain our public lands, and it has to be um, recreation-related. So, And does the state pay for that as far as maintenance? Actually, they hand it over to you, to whoever. So, actually, Who would they hand it to? Who would manage city it? city or county, whoever oh. applies for it. What I'd like to see the state do is some of these, I think we got 46 parks now. I'd like to see them take advantage of that option and expand them. I'd much rather have the state running our our public lands than the feds. We have too many restrictions and we're always in jeopardy of losing them to wilderness. So I hope the legislatures, and there's some that are working on it, that'll take advantage of that. 
and start acquiring at least 26,000 acres a year. Do you yeah. think in the in the state-run land, um, you know, our state parks, mm-hmm. is there opportunity to better educate people? I mean, you're in law enforcement, Bruce, where I'm sure there's a lot of people that you see on a day-to-day where you just have the opportunity to educate them. They, they honestly didn't know, and mm-hmm. you let them go on with their day because you got to educate them. And I think it's the same thing with state parks, where if we had state-run off-road trail access, would that be the solution? Would that be... Would that help us in, in the long run? Absolutely, it would help. Yep. Yeah. The feds are, so here's an example. I would like to see state parks take over the sand dunes. So they're bringing in, they're bringing in millions and millions of dollars per year. Um, and all the money goes into the feds and goes back east and disappears in Washington in their general fund. You don't see millions of dollars of improvements at the sand dunes, but it's one of, it's people's favorite area to go. If the state owned it, the money stays in the state. They control it. They're out there helping the BLM anyway. And, you know, so does that answer your question? Do you think the sand dunes would be better off state-owned or federal? Because oh, all the state, money disappears. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I the campgrounds alone, right? It'd be nice to have somewhere you oh. could pull into that's designated, and you don't have to worry about nails in your tires. And, have, and, and whatever the, the people wanted. You know, if you wanted campgrounds that have got improvements in electricity and water and all that, the state would have the money to do that, where the feds collect the money and send it back to Washington. Yeah, so yeah the management sense. infrastructure in the state of Utah now, in the mm-hmm. last five, five, six years ago, it wasn't there. Oh. Now it's to the point where you, you, the state could go in and in, easily take mm-hmm. over some of that stuff, start managing it, and yep. do it profitably and benefit the taxpayer instead of being a burden on the taxpayer. And better. And San yeah, Paulo is a perfect better. example of that. Yeah. You know, everything outside of the park, BLM and Sitla, mm-hmm. is controlled by the feds, right? Yeah. But who maintains it? It's not the state. The state. Not really. It's actually Upla and Desert Rats. Yeah. They've put in bathrooms. They've expanded the the parking you, by the water tanks, money. right? Exactly. But the, using money from the OHV community, mm-hmm. and if the state were to take over, and I'm just talking about Sand Hollow, if the state were to take over all of that BLM land where all the trails are now, mm-hmm. could you imagine how nice that would be? Mm-hmm. And what they're doing in Sand Hollow Resort right now? Well, you were there a week ago, yeah. two weeks ago for mm-hmm. the takeover. It was incredible. Parking lots, new bathrooms, new campgrounds going in. I mean, it's changed so dramatically in the yeah. last year. Could you imagine what would happen if we absorbed that BLM land up above where all the trails are? And took state? it up the hill. Yeah, yeah that would state and there's control some, of that. There's be, some things in the works. It would be an awesome. I mean, it's mm-hmm. already a national recognized OHV park. But, man, if the state could take that. But right where the park is, is certain amount of acreage and they control everything. And then people go beyond out into the BLM. I think underneath the bridge and on is all BLM. Right. So wouldn't it be nice to have the state parks acquire all that so we don't have to listen. And they could under that law. Under yeah. that law. And, and they don't have to beg for permission to put in a toilet or a parking lot on the federal land. You know, if they think it's right for the people, that's what they do. So how do we so, buy Moab? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huh. Well, we're working on it. We're tr- coming up with something. 26,500 acres at a time. <laughs> I'd love to get sand flats and all that area that they keep trying to harass us. You know, that was all motorized in the beginning. Motorized, it's an old mining town. Yeah. It wasn't bicycles running around. Now oh. they've just overwhelmed it. I love Moab. I, it's one of my favorite places to ride, and you hate Everybody to have does. these disagreements, but it, there's nothing like it. There were even people uh, way back in 2018, 19, I had a friend from Florida come out. And he 
couldn't believe the type of writing that we were doing. He was one of those guys that went through the swamp and he was telling me stories how you had to look out for alligators. And for me, that's not right. Yeah. And where he came out and saw those red rocks and it changed his entire perspective on what a razor could do. Right? And, yeah. and we welcome everybody. We don't, you know, when we build trails like, you know, ATV, UTV trails or whatever, we share with all. But yet the environmentalists want to be very selfish with it and say, these are bicycle trails. We don't want anybody else here where... We welcome them on our roads and trails. So it's a little bit lopsided. Hopefully one day we can find a compromise. But we've tried. Bruce has sat meetings. I've sat in them. Kevin, we've all sat in meetings for five years um, just trying to come up with a compromise. And they have no intention of working with us. You know, you know what it is, though? I think it's just general respect, general respect with the general population. Mm -hmm. So ignore the groups. Just be a good human being. And if you're out on a trail and you know that you're passing a family on their bikes, mm -hmm. go past them slowly. If there's someone riding their horses, don't speed past them. Yep. If you start to do that, it'll be recognized by the people. And then I think eventually, if we mm -hmm. have enough people in our community being good, mm -hmm. then hopefully you can start to get rid of some of the gotta, politics from the top, yeah. right? Right, you gotta make it popular to be nice. Yeah. yeah. You gotta make it cool that's part of to this. be nice. That's part of it. That's, yeah, that's the purpose. Yeah. So. so let's summarize in the next five minutes, let's summarize House Bill 180 and our goals, whether it's to the groups we support or um, our friends we ride with or a state of Utah uh, or even just doing good in general. We know that UTVs have gained popularity like crazy, right? They started out as as ranch machines or as uh, farm, equipment. Yeah, farm equipment. And then they evolved. They started to get a little bit longer suspension and some people started modifying them. They turned into like a mini Jeep and now we started uh, competing with other off-roaders on some of these wider trails. And there's a lot of people now recreating. And with a lot of people, there, of course, is a little bit of wear and tear. So ultimately, our goal is to... And, and, and not just that. So these are shared lands, right? The public lands. The trails are, might be used for UTVs, but the rest of that land is used by a rancher. And think about this for a second. If you're a rancher and you've got your entire livelihood out grazing on a piece of land that's protected by a gate, you have to go to bed every night hoping that whoever used that trail closed that gate every day. Because if your cow gets out and he kills somebody on a road, that's on you. Yeah, good point. And you so, never know when somebody's going to be driving a Suburban down the road and hit a big cow. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a Dodge truck. <laughs> it was a Dodge truck. It was a Ram oh, truck. my bad. <laughs> what car? It did a lot of damage. <laughs> but you want to know it if you're that rancher. You go to bed every night hoping that doesn't happen, and, and you want people to know this information. And so that's why, this, that's why this test is here. It's taken away. It's just everything that the state of Utah wants you to know before you ride on our public lands. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, shared access. We are riding on private property too. And those those landowners are allowing us on their properties. That's a really good point to note too. This isn't just a battle with the state or the no, feds. It's, it's ranchers. generous ranchers who are letting us go through their property to take the shortcut to what we all enjoy. And I guess kind of the last thing I'll say is the reason we all do this is to appreciate nature. Mm -hmm. right? I don't think any of us are going out there to throw on a race helmet and just go Ricky Bobby. Like we're going out to get away. We're going out to relax and spend time with our friends. So we want to preserve that access for our friends, our family, and our kids and our grandkids, right? So that's the ultimate goal is we all want to preserve and conserve, but we want to make sure that we have shared, um, air quotes yeah. here, shared access. We don't need more. We just need to protect what we have. You know, there is a place for wilderness. There is a place for non-motorized, you know. So what we have today is great, but we're losing it more than we're ever gaining. So that's why 
we need to do something about it. And thanks to our awesome legislature. We have an amazing legislature, probably the best in the country. I think we do. We're lucky to live in Utah. The legislatures, I became friends, and um, just it's amazing that, you know, the Republicans that are in there are just all on the same page we are. You know, even the Democrats that are in the legislation are, the legislatures are excellent, good people. So, like I say, when we ran this, it was unanimous through the House and the Senate and everything, except for that one person. We blame him for that one. <laughs> I think he coached kids I, ball or something. See, I, I don't know. I, I don't, we won't we won't go there. But no, <laughs> we're lucky to have legislation to stand with us because they're all just good old people, just like we are. But Steve, so. we're also very lucky to have Brett and Kevin here, fighting for the OHV community. You know, they've written some good good bills. They've worked really hard on House Bill One Eighty to get it passed. They were out knocking. Nope, Kevin. You know you were involved just as much as Brett. Both of you guys nailed this thing down and got it so that it could be presented to the legislator and passed. You guys did a lot of work on this, which is ultimately going to just make the OHV community even stronger. So, Kevin, you guys guys did a really good job. and You guys had a lot of opposition, but Mm -hmm. you guys fought through it. And, and you came out and you know Steve, that was my job was they really addressing the job. opposition that's really kind of what the role i took was if anybody came out opposed to it i went to them and just said hey yeah. let's let's talk this through this is a team effort it takes it takes a huge team to make something like this work and especially getting support of other users this is a user bill and then to get to take it to the legislatures and sell it to the legislatures and see that yes it makes sense and to make it push it through legislation unanimous is amazing. So, you know, there's a lot of mad people. Believe me, I heard from them. It's not a real popular bill, but they don't realize one day they'll realize that the purpose of it is for future generations. I don't do this for me. I do it for everybody. That's why I do what I do. Hey, it'll be popular the minute they're done with that half hour training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then there'll be, oh, they'll get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's all there is to it. Yeah. And and a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different things that require education, whether you have a concealed firearm permit or anything. Right. Like it's, it's pretty common now. Yeah. Like watch a video and make sure that you're aware of what's changed since you last registered exactly. and, and uh, go on with your day. So I, I think it's great. And uh, I'm a believer. And on behalf of everyone that I know that rides UTV, I think they all have the same opinion. Thank you guys very much for mm-hmm. you know, putting your name on a lot of these bills, um, but also putting your effort into all this because it's something that you're not doing it for a career. You're doing this to really change things for all those that have access. You're volunteering a lot of time to be out there to make sure that we're protected. So on behalf of all of the UTV riders and you know, just off-roaders in general that I know, thank you guys for the effort that goes into that. Yeah. It definitely means a lot that we can go out and continue to recreate and enjoy the weekends to get away from life, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You're welcome. Well said. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on today. Thanks for having us, Steve. Yeah, thanks for We having really us. appreciate it. Thank no you. No problem. Appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thanks for watching this episode seven of the Grizzly Habits podcast. As always, please like and subscribe our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash grizzly habits or like and subscribe us on other social platforms at grizzly.habits. This episode is available at the grizzlyhabitspodcast.com or grizzlyhabits.com slash Utah Off Road. Thanks again, and we appreciate your support.